pushing up from the diaphragm. And I'm just going to push up with my tongue. I'm going to have quite a bit of pressure, and then I just drop my jaw. And it's going to sound like this. I'll carry an owl hooter, almost like a barred owl. But I just try to say the words, who cooks for you? Who cooks for you all? You can also throw a little bit of what they call a laugh in that alcohol. And it sounds something like. (laughs) Sometimes that could be enough to just get a gobbler to sound off. Hello, New Mexico. James Pittman here with the New Mexico Wildlife Podcast. We have a great show for you today. Turkey season is in full swing. Last weekend was the first weekend of the hunt, and we've got quite a few more weeks in the season ahead. So I thought it would be a good time to talk specifically about calling turkeys. So I'm super excited to have our first repeat guest on the show. I'm not really sure I know anybody at Game and Fish that gets more excited about turkey hunting than store mushery. So I asked him to come back on the show and help us out with how to call turkeys. Storm, thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me again, James. I, uh, like you said, I'm, I just get excited every year when, when spring turkey season's around the corner. Um, without a doubt, the springtime is my favorite time to be out in the woods. Um, you know, we got our migratory, uh, songbirds pushing, pushing north and stuff's trying to green up you know it, it's like the, the mountains are, are coming to life so it's just it's a wonderful time to be out there so absolutely absolutely and, and it, it's that time of year when you get excited to go hunting again but you you know if you go to the store and you you look at all the different turkey hunting equipment there is i don't think there's another species that's hunted that has more gear associated with it there, there definitely is a lot of different calls, a lot of different gear. And, uh, yeah, what, what's crazy is like every year, um, I'll start looking like at Cabela's or Bass Pro or whatever and just seeing what's new, what's the latest, greatest thing that's coming out. And there's so many call manufacturers that every year they're coming out with just a plethora of different types of calls. They may still have the same functionality, but just the, the new stuff that's out there, it, it's pretty cool, man. Well, let's let's dive right into that then. Let's talk about all of the different types of calls there are. Like you said, there's there's new things that come out every year, but it seems like they can kind of be broken down into into some main main categories. So, um, I, I guess let's go through some different types of calls and uh, the skill levels associated with those calls. Okay, you bet, man. You bet. Uh, I I know, you know, me, when I think back early on, like in my turkey hunting career, if you will, you know, I I just wasn't very proficient at using a diaphragm or an air-operated call, so I picked up a box call. And when you look at um, turkey calls, there's a category of friction calls, and box calls fall in that category. And they, to me, they sound so realistic in the woods um if you get a box call that is manufactured well you you can learn to operate that box call very easily and especially as a beginning turkey hunter you know if i had someone come up to me today and they're like there's so many calls out there 
if I had one call, you know, that I could go to the store and pay 20, 30 bucks for and get and learn how to use in a quick time, without a doubt, it's going to be the box call. So, so within box call. So now you were on our, on our fall turkey hunting podcast and talked about long box calls. So do you use those long box calls in the spring as well, or is that strictly a fall uh, box call? No, I, I, I'll, I'll use a, a long box call um, in the springtime. Um, I've also got just a regular sized box call, if you will. And, and when you look at box calls, some of them are the more traditional type and you, you're going to have to use some chalk. You know, you've got to maintain them. And, and it's real important with no matter what style friction call you use, you want to avoid getting your hands on any of the friction surfaces because the oils from your hand will get on there and those calls are just not going to operate or function properly. Also, what's really cool, uh, probably in the last 10 years, uh, what's really neat, there's box calls that are manufactured that you don't have to use chalk on, and they're going to have a waterproof, a waterproofing type surface, not only on the lid, but also on the, the edge of the box where the lid will be um, uh, basically taken across. And, and that waterproofing, that ensures that that call will operate. So if you're out there and you get stuck in a mountain shower or a little bit of snow, that call is still going to function versus a box call, a more traditional one that you have to chalk. That one is not going to operate. And, and because once it starts getting wet, one, I'd be worried about, you know, potentially damaging my call, but I want to keep it out of that weather. But you get a little bit of moisture on there and it's just not going to operate. Um to its fullest uh, capability and probably not operate at all. So, okay, okay. Well, well, what about within within these different box calls? We mentioned the long box and the regular box. What's the, what's the difference? Are there different sounds of of the different, I guess, sizes and lengths of boxes? And then is there a difference in the different types of wood? Yeah, yeah. A lot of different manufacturers they'll they'll use a variety of different woods when they make these calls and there are so many manufacturers out there that are making a great product that you know it, it's hard to say that this particular wood makes a better sound um to me i i think what, what i notice most of all is like with a long box call i get a lot more volume and anybody that spent any time here in new mexico in the springtime it just like today, the wind is blowing nine o, and you have to deal with that wind when you're out in the turkey woods. And you need a call that's going to be able to break through that wind so the turkey can hear you. And hands down, a box call, that volume carries uh, tremendously. So like a, a long box is going to have probably a lot more volume than a smaller traditional type box call, but they both have great volume to them. So, Okay. Okay, and then I've seen some modifications, I guess, of a of a box call. They're still wooden calls, but the the pieces aren't joined together, and they're either um, I've heard them called a, a scratch box or, a, or a, a, a snuff box call, where you're holding one piece in one hand and one in the other. Have you ever used uh, calls like that? Um, I've messed around with them. I've I've never uh, used one or operated one on a turkey hunt, and those are probably um, you know, if, if you were to look at the variety of calls that are made, like a scratch box like that was probably developed before 
the actual box call and th- those can work fantastic. I mean, you can get some good yelps and other turkey sounds, you know, some clucks, possible purrs out of them. And, you know, I've got one that a, a friend of mine made. He, he's uh, very handy with, with woodwork and, and he made me one and, and uh, I haven't quite uh, mastered the operation of it, but those can be really, really good. They, they may not have, or they're not going to have the volume of a, of, of a box call per se, but you can still get some good turkey sounds out of them. Okay, so so maybe not as good on a on a windy day then. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They tend to be, to in my opinion, a little bit softer type of a call. So. Okay, and and then same with other things like a, I've seen wooden uh, push button yelpers. So yep. so not as good on a not as good on a windy day and not as not as versatile then. Yeah, exactly. You just don't get the volume out of them. You can get some uh, great, great turkey sounds out of them. Um, and those push button style, uh, most of the ones that I've seen are operated. You can get some fantastic purrs, some great yelps. Um, you know, you you can get some good turkey sounds out of them. And what's really cool, I mean, if you have two of those and you're purring back and forth on each one, I mean, heck, you, you, you could sound like two turkeys that are kind of squaring up with each other, you know, like almost like you're imitating a fighting purr, if you will, but they, they definitely have their place in the turkey woods. So. Okay. Okay. And and then back to the traditional box, which uh, has the, that paddle kind of uh, hinged onto the top. I, I, I've seen them where they have the ability to just call on one side and I've seen them where they can call on, on both sides. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about that and your preferences there? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, some of them you can call on both sides and most of them on one side, it's going to be a little, a little higher pitched and they, you know, they may advertise that as the young hen and the other side will have a little more of a raspy sound and they may, you know, for manufacturing purposes or advertisement, advertise that as the old hen. Um, so, you know, each side can definitely produce um, a high pitch or a very raspy sound, which, which can be beneficial because if you're kind of bouncing bef- between both sides, you could almost sound like two different hens, if you will, because you're producing two different sounds. And some of those box calls that are like that, almost like the more traditional where you can call on either side, some of them actually have a little rubber band that you can put over uh, the main body and the lid or that are already affixed to the main body of the box call. And that rubber band just gently slides over the end of the handle or the paddle. And you can just shake that call from side to side and imitate a gobble out of it or a gobbler. Um, so there is some versatility with that. Th- the main call that I use is actually just one sided. Um, and, and for me, the reason is it's actually got a slot in the side where I can put my thumb and um, actually do some cutting on that particular style of a box call. But all of them can be uh, dynamite. They, they can all be the perfect medicine in the turkey woods. So, Okay. Okay. Now, now you said that you started off with a box call, and there's lots of other kind of calls on the market. So are there limitations on the box call? Are there certain things that the box call can't do that, that other type calls can um, I, I think the biggest limitation when you're talking about box call is, I mean, you're getting a great sounding instrument in the turkey woods and it's going to be deadly in the woods. But when you're in that final moment, when that gobbler is committed and coming your way, 
you know, you're giving up your position if you're still happen to make that call function. So you are giving up movement. You are potentially going to be giving up your position to that bird because, you know, most of the, most of the time, my experience in the Turkey woods, when that gobbler is, is finally coming in a good amount of the time, they're coming silent. You may hear them gobble and it sounds like they're closing distance. And the next thing you may hear, uh, wings dragging in the leaves, or you may hear him spitting and drumming and you look up and this thing has come in silent. And if you're sitting there not knowing exactly where he's at and you, you think, okay, I need to yelp a little more and you start functioning or trying to make that box call operate. Um, if that Turkey is within eye shot of you, they can pick up that little bit of movement and, and it's going to give away your position. So I think that's the probably the biggest downside with a box call is it gives up your position so okay so so when they're in close it would be better better to have a a mouth call or something where you're limiting your movement then exactly yeah like like me nowadays if if i'm using a box call and i i love to use a box call most of the time but i'll have a diaphragm call in my mouth um for those final moments so when, when i think okay this tom's committed he's coming um, just how I get positioned and, and we can talk about that later a little bit on positioning, but you know, I, I've got that diaphragm call in and, and diaphragm calls. It's one of those are great because there, there's no movement. I mean, you know, they're air operated, you have it in your mouth. You don't have to move any part of your body to make that call function. So, but is it hard to, to learn to, to use a mouth call? Um, it, it's one of those that I think some people may have some difficulty with a mouth call. And I think the biggest thing with people trying to use a, a, a mouth call, I would encourage them to, you know, get like a double reeded call. Um, I don't, I can't think of any single read mouth calls, uh, that I can think of right offhand that are manufactured, but there's several elk calls out there that are made for calf or cow calls. Um, and that single read will be very easy to learn on how, just how to operate. And even a double read would be the easiest because you can get into so many different, uh, types of cuts on turkey calls, you know, and, and by cuts, I mean how they cut the, the latex on that call. You know, some may be a triple read, there may be a four read and they've got a variety of different. So I, I think just getting a, a basic double read call and just learning to, blow air through it and i've got one here and i'd be happy to throw it in just to you know give that basic sound just to learn and, and i think a lot of people when they start to operate it it it'll vibrate and it tickles the roof of their mouth but the more you practice with it the more efficient the more comfortable you're going to get with it and i think ultimately over time you know if you're going to get into turkey hunting you really need to learn to, to use a diaphragm call because there is a time and a place for it in the turkey woods. So, but, um, on, on this double read I have here, James, it's just, it's, it's basically shaped like a horseshoe. The round part will go to the back of my mouth. Uh, the flat part will go to the front. Um, there's a logo on the top of the call and that's, that will face up. But when you stick one of these in your mouth, just try to get some air, flow coming out of it and i could care less about making a turkey sound at this point in time when i'm trying to use this uh, diaphragm call so so does it have to fit to the to the roof of your mouth 
Yeah, basically what it does is uh, I, I've got it uh, where it sits. I don't put it way back. I, I've got it. Um, there's kind of a you'll have to find that sweet spot on the roof of your mouth. But basically your tongue will push up and and then you, you just kind of not huff out the air, but just kind of, you know, you, you'll have some airflow coming and the pressure from the roof of your mouth and your tongue and that air passing through will cause the uh, the latex to vibrate um, to vibrate on on this mouth operated call. So so when you're blowing air through it, is that from like from the diaphragm? Is it from deep? Exactly. Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's real real key when you're using a mouth call that you know you you want it coming down deep. You want it put. You want that air, if you will, you want it coming from your diaphragm up. Um, that, that's going to be very, very key. And I can make just a real basic sound, you know, something you want to try to get, just getting used to a diaphragm call. Okay. And just think of the word, you know, like key or P or T. Okay. And, and you're just trying to get that that air get that sound get comfortable making those sounds and then as you start to master that you know you can easily learn like the yelp um because in the turkey woods especially as a novice turkey hunter if you can at least yelp and throw in some clucks you're going to be good in the woods you know what i mean so just just learning those couple calls on any call you choose you know you're going to be fine okay so Can, can you do uh some of the actual turkey calls uh for us the yelp and 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 the clucks and things yeah you bet you bet like uh you know as a say a novice hunter is as they put this in be pushing up from the diaphragm and i'm just gonna start and i'm gonna have i'm gonna push up with my tongue i'm gonna have quite a bit of pressure and then i just drop my jaw i'll be it'll and it's gonna sound like this And that's putting pressure and dropping, pushing pressure and dropping. And then when we put it together for a yelp, it'll sound like this because we're gonna we're gonna try to put that that basic sound pushing up and let your jaw drop. Push up, let your your jaw drop. And it's just a matter of just just playing with it, just learning and. When, when you, any call you're using, whether it's a mouth call, box call, any of these calls that we're going to be talking about today, just I, I think it's key to get your hands on a turkey hunting DVD. Watch YouTube. There's a lot of free videos out there uh, watching some turkey hunting programs and just hearing those turkey sounds and try to imitate them. Um, that, that'd be the best. So, Do, do you happen to have a, a friction call there where we could compare the, the sounds now that we've heard a a diaphragm call you bet you bet well and one thing i want to go back just real real quick on the box call just it won't take just a little bit just the operation of a box call sure um how we get that basic sound um so i'm i'm holding the base of this box call james just kind of with my fingers i'm kind of cradling it i'm not holding it flat in my hand because if you hold that bottom real tight with your hand you're going to kind of deaden the sound so i just kind of kind of hold it with my five fingers up against the side of my hand there and I'm not holding it real flat and 
it's one of those that with the lid, I'm going to pull the lid away from the main part of the box call and I'm just going to drag it across. And I think a lot of people make the mistake that, you know, once they think, because that right there was kind of like a basic Yelp. And if they want to start yelping on one, what they tend to do, and it, it is a mistake, is they they pick up the lid and then carry it back. They pick up the lid and they carry it back. So it just sounds like this. It doesn't really sound realistic where if you keep constant contact with the lid and your box, the main part of your box, don't lift the lid up, but you want to go back and forth with it, it's going to sound like this. It just sounds a lot more realistic. So um, that'll be real key to operating that box call. So Sure. Sure. And, and obviously sounds a lot louder there. So a, a box call is, is still even louder than the, the diaphragm call. Yeah. I mean, you can get a good amount of volume. Like when I was using that diaphragm, I wasn't, you know, just hammering away on it, but without a doubt, hands down, you get so much more volume out of a box call, way more, way more volume, which out West I think is key. It, it's key, especially on those windy days. So and another friction call I've got here, I've got a, a pot style call. Um, I do have a glass. They come in different uh, different surfaces, if you will. You've got glass, you've got slate, you've got aluminum. It's just I happen to have uh, what they call a glass. And it, it produces some really good sound. And just like your box call, you, you need to condition the surface of your, of your call. And I do have a conditioning stone. And... All I'm going to be doing is when I go to condition this box call before we get any sound out of it, James, with my conditioning stone, you just want to go back and forth. You don't want to go side to side. You don't want crisscrosses. Basically, you're just going to condition the stone in one direction. And I don't do the entire surface. I'm only conditioning about a one and a half by a one and a half piece on the top. And usually when you go buy a call, it's already got a small part of that uh, pot call that's already been conditioned. And just con continue uh, conditioning that spot. So I'm going to do that right now with this stone. I'm just going to go side to side. And I just want to get it ready to kind of make some sound out of it. Um, and I will carry a, a green Brillo pad. And I kind of rub the end of my uh, striker. Because you'll have a striker. That's where you're going you're gonna to use that on the actual pot call to get sound out of it. So. And, and what's, what are the strikers made out of? Uh, the strikers are a lot of them. They, they come in different designs, uh, different uh, woods. And I think the key is generally most of the pot style calls that are made today, they're going to come with one striker. And usually that particular striker has been developed to sound the best with that particular call. Um, so I don't think there's a big need to get different strikers, but you know, they may make certain strikers out there that you may be able to make a key key call better, you know, specifically like if you're wanting to key key maybe in the fall. So, you know, different strikers are a little bit better with certain sounds. Um, and it's just a matter of, of just learning how to operate it. I think with the striker it comes with now they do make some of these pot style calls that um, the striker is actually almost like plastic or acrylic. So it, it truly is a waterproof type of a call. You can use it when you're out in the rain or get stuck in a snowstorm. 
Um, but your more traditional pot style calls, when they have a wood striker, they're not going to be waterproof. And you get a few raindrops on your calling surface, you're not going to be able to get any sound. So it's again, it's another call that is very weather dependent. It's something you're not going to want to try to operate if you're in a downpour or something. So, okay. And and when I hold the striker, James, I'm just kind of holding it almost like you would a pen um, when you write. And when I hold uh, the pot, the actual call, again, like the box call, I don't want to hold it just flat, flush in the palm of my hand because you're going to deaden the sound. I just kind of hold the sides of the call just gently with all five fingers and because on the bottom of the call, there's some holes kind of drilled in the bottom and, and that helps carry that sound out there. And with my striker, I'm not going to hold it straight up and down on the call. Cause if I do like I'm going to do now, I'm not going to hardly get any sound out of it. I mean, I'm, I'm trying and I'm not getting much out of it. Right. But when I put my striker flush the tip of it and I put a little bit of an angle on it, See, I can start to get a lot better sound out of it. That striker is actually gripping that surface I just conditioned. So okay. it can actually grip it, and you can start to get sounds out of it. So. Okay. Well, um, yeah, go ahead and go ahead and, uh, and do a few calls on it so we can kind of compare those three sounds that we've heard so far. You bet. You bet. And, and to me, I think on a pot-style pot call, the best way to get a turkey sound out of it is just to make some small ovals with your striker. Your, your call, your actual pot call will just stay stationary. So I'm going to put my striker down on there and I'm going to put a slight angle and I'm going to put a little bit of pressure on it. And I'm just kind of going in an oval, you know what I mean? And that kind of helps produce that basic yelp. So, and, and what's cool is, you know, if I go out more to the center where I condition the call, it, it tends to be a little deeper versus if I go more towards the side of the call, it's a little softer, a little higher pitched. But, and, and, and there's nothing to, to really operating one of these. Once you get one, the big thing is, is getting them conditioned and just practice. And a lot of these manufacturers, what's cool is, They've got so much content available either in pamphlets that come with them. Um, sometimes they be, you even go to their website, they'll have little tutorials on how to use that particular product or how to get particular sounds out of it. So they're, they're really doing a lot better job with uh, not only the manufacturing, but uh, with instructions and how-tos on making these things operate. And they field test them too. So, Sure, sure. And, and, and you had uh, mentioned there about that – uh, pot call having two different sounds so do you do you use that where you'll try where you're trying to sound like two birds at one time um yeah if if i do sometimes i will but i tend to do it more with uh like say i'll, I'll grab my box call and i'm going to put in a diaphragm and you know there, there could be a lot of benefit to that because, you know, we're getting two different sounds produced. It sounds like, you know, maybe a couple hens and it may help in getting that gobbler in a little bit more, but it, you know, if you're able to sound like more like a couple birds, um, it, it definitely can help versus just sounding like one. Okay.
I mean, you, you can just hear it. I mean, there's two distinct different sounds. Now, yeah, they're coming from the same location, but still there's times when turkeys are very close to each other. So, Sure, sure. Yeah, that sounded really good. So, so I think we've talked about kind of the main types of calls, right? We've talked about the, the box calls, the pot calls, the diaphragm calls. At least those are the, the main ones to my knowledge. But I know there's a lot of other different kinds of calls. And so – Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there's, you know, wing bone calls. There's uh, uh, snuff or tube style calls. There, there's um, trumpet calls. There, there's a lot of them out there. But, you know, the, I think the three main ones we definitely cover. These are the three main ones that when, if you walk in a store today or you go online and you want to order a turkey call, these are going to be the three main ones you're going to be able to get or, or three different types. So Okay. Well, well, let's talk just a little bit about those those other – non-mainstream calls so um you had mentioned the wing bone call now i i have heard of those almost exclusively made out of turkey wing bones yes but you actually made one recently out of crane bones right yeah yeah out, out of sandhill crane bones uh made, made a um a wing bone call out of it it is very long but uh it, it does make some decent turkey sounds i i'm not the best at using um a a wing bone call but sometimes just that little bit different of a sound that something like that can produce could make all the difference in 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 the world in the turkey woods because it may be a sound that you know a two or three or four year old tom he hasn't really heard there's not a lot of people using wing bone calls but if you get lucky in the turkey woods save the you know it'd be the radius the ulna and the humerus those three main wing bones um, save them and you can find some great content online and make your own, man. It could be a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Well, well, so knowing that that crane bone call was a lot longer than, mm-hmm. the, than the turkey wing bone call, did you notice a difference in sounds between the two? Oh, yeah, absolutely. To me, it's got a lot more volume to it. Um, it's a little tougher to get the, the softer sound out of it. But it, it, to me, it still sounds great. And um, it's one that I think, you know, I may not pull it out of my arsenal this spring. And but I may give it a go maybe this fall. I may try to take it fall turkey hunting and see if we can have any luck with it there, you know. So. Sure. Sure. Well, knowing that we've kind of talked about these different type of calls and before we get into the specific sounds and their meaning and that kind of thing yeah can you tell us a little bit about the shot gobble calls so there's lots of calls that are marketed for turkey hunting that aren't necessarily yep. turkey calls yep yep yeah and, and that's something especially as a new hunter you may not know but i mean you know i've had turkeys gobble at maybe a, a loud vehicle going by on a road i've had them gobble at thunder I've had them, I've heard of them gobbling at car doors slamming, you know, any unnatural sound like that, that just comes out of nowhere, that just makes them shot gobble. But they're, what's cool is there's actual animal sounds that we can um, reproduce in the woods that can elicit a gobble out of that tom and help us to locate him without using turkey sounds per se, um, which can really be key midday. But these locator calls, you can use from first light till 
that evening when you're trying to put one to bed, if you will, you're trying to find his roost location so you know where to try to set up the next morning to try to call in a turkey. Um, but anything from like owl calls, coyote yelpers, red tail hawk sounds, uh, elk bugle. You, you, I mean, you could even use one of your turkey diaphragms. May not sound like the best elk bugle, but it's enough. You know, it's not going to scare them. And when, and that's one thing that's key when we're out there using these chains. You know, if you're using an owl call, like an owl hooter, you're not trying to win an owl calling competition, you know, but it's enough that it, it, it it's not going to scare that Tom. And hopefully it's enough to get them to, to sound off. So, okay. Okay. What, what, what are your favorite shot gobble calls to use? Um, the ones I generally carry in my vest, like, especially for, for first light, you know, let's say I've went out, I've done some of my scouting and I've got areas that I traditionally know, okay, that, you know, there's usually some toms up on these ridges and it, it's like, I mean, you know, you're probably within, you know, five to 10 minutes of shooting light, say, and you're just hoping to get a gobble so you can kind of close the distance a little bit and be able to get set up. But I'll carry an owl hooter. And I, I, when I call, I don't try to sound like a great horned owl or, you know, that's more natural here out West, but it's almost like a barred owl. Um, but I just try to say the words who cooks for you, who cooks for you all. And it can be a little bit long, if you will. So if, if a gobble gobbler was to sound off and I'm in the middle of my call, I may miss it. But if you want, I can just kind of show you how I how I make an owl call. So. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. It's just who cooks for you? Who cooks for you all? And that's all I'm saying when I'm blowing through this turkey call. That's that's what I'm thinking. You can also throw a little bit of what they call a laugh in that in that owl call. Um, and it sounds something like that. So if I was to do this call and I don't have a gobbler sound off, I may do something like this, James. <laughs> just kind of throwing a little bit of just they call it a laugh at the end. But sometimes that could be enough to just get a gobbler to sound off. I mean, and, it, you know, to him. You know, I'm sure he he knows it's an owl or just something natural, but just that little bit of laugh at the end of that owl hoot may be enough to get him to to, to gobble at you. And what are you using to make that sound? Uh, this is just just an owl call. Um, to my knowledge, with this owl call, you know, y- you could you could probably go out there and replicate um, like a spotted owl or a great horned owl. Um, but this particular one, I'm just trying to imitate kind of like a barred owl. Um, you know. We don't really have them around here, but it is a natural sound and, you know, it doesn't seem to scare the turkeys. Now, you know, I'm not going to use this midday. I'm not going to use this at night. I'm primarily using my alcohol first thing in the morning, trying to get a gobbler to, to sound off from his roost. So, okay. Okay. And then that trill at the end, was that fluttering your tongue or how were you doing that? Um, yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah, kind of fluttering the tongue, just kind of. Yeah, kind of fluttering the tongue, really. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, yeah, just kind of flutter your tongue as you're as you're exhaling, you're blowing air through that call. So, very cool. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, and then like midday, I, I think some good midday. And what's good about using a locator call midday, James, is. 
it's one of those that used a turkey call right away and there was a turkey a lot closer than I wanted and I barely had any time to get set up on them so I think it's important that you know that's why sometimes using these locator calls midday to try to get that gobble there is some benefit to it um, that if they do shot gobble it get you know they're not going to be coming running in to say like an elk bugle you know what I mean yeah um, but sometimes I'll, I'll just carry a turkey diaphragm and I'll just kind of make a halfway bugle here. Again, this isn't going to win an elk calling contest. This isn't, you know, it may be enough to call in an elk. It's not the best sounding bugle, but I'll just throw in a turkey diaphragm call. And <laughs> just something like that. Just, you know, especially out here in the Rocky Mountains or out in the West, we've got elk. Elk will bugle year round. Obviously, the intensity of it is in the fall. But I've heard them, you know, bugle in the spring, the summer. So even something like that is kind of a natural sound. Now, I'm not going to go around the turkey woods just bugling everywhere. But every now and then, I may just throw a bugle out there to change it up and see if I can get something to shot gobble back. So, and, and another great call is, is a coyote yelper or howler. Um, but I don't think it's good to use those probably till the evening when you're trying to put one to bed when they've already flown to roost you can sometimes elicit a coyote howl and get something to, to shot gobble at that. So, okay. Okay. Yeah, I do. in midday, another great one, Jane crow call. I love to use a crow call, either using my voice or a crow call. So, okay. But more middle of the day for that one then. Yeah. More middle of the day. Yeah. More middle of the day. Like my, my voice, I'll just kind of, just something like that. Just calling with my voice can get one to shot gobble. Or if you have a crow call, just something like that could be enough to man they're just going to hammer down they're going to just shot gobble at it so very cool yeah that that man that elk that elk bugle sounded pretty good to me for a turkey call <laughs> well well what about what about other other sounds so i've i've seen on tv or heard about people using turkey wings the movement of the wings. Can you explain a little bit about what those wings are used for? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, uh, sometimes folks will, will just cut the, the bottom half of that wing if they harvest a bird and just kind of fan it out and dry it, or they'll pluck it and glue five or six, and it's the primary feathers is what they're using, but they'll glue five or six of those primary feathers in a handle, you know, like a wooden handle. And I've got one that my buddy made for me, um, and you know, I love to carry, um, a turkey wing with me in the woods because, you know, when a turkey pitches down in the morning, um, you know, if you're pretty close, you're going to hear that audible sound of them taking flight. And I've got one here and I can just kind of imitate a little bit. Um, but you know, if I'm sitting there and I'm, I've done some real soft tree yelps, and all of a sudden I'm fixing to do a fly down cackle. And as I get into my fly down cackle, I may take my wing and flush it against the air or some of the tree branches and leaves. And sometimes just against my chest, just, and, and that just sounds like a turkey pitching down. And what's cool is if you don't have a turkey wing, what you can use James is, is your ball cap. If you're in the turkey woods and you got your, your camo cap, take your cap off and you can just, use that against your chest and it almost sounds the exact same you know what i mean and that's loud enough a turkey can hear that oh yeah definitely definitely and and even just uh 
the simple, you know, if you're leaned up against a tree and you've gave a few tree yelps and you haven't done your fly down yet and you're fixing to just kind of scraping the edge of that wing up on the, the tree um, or up on some leaves, that, that sound a turkey will hear and they know what it is. I mean, they, and it adds a little more realism to your setup as well. So, okay. Well, knowing that we're out West and on hunting public land, do, do you see any issues with having the wings or using decoys or fantails or anything like that? Yeah, I think it's something that you definitely definitely have to keep in mind for safety i know me on public ground i don't try to you know and you'll see it on hunting programs where people are fanning trying to fan them i i will use decoys but i think that it is very key that if you're going to use decoys that one you have a very good backdrop which means you've got a tree that is wider than your shoulders um, I think that it's key that your decoys are not directly in front of you, that maybe they're kind of off to the side and just be listening in the woods and, you know, taking caution and knowing that there could be hunters trying to come in on you. And if you do, don't sit there and mess with them, man. Don't start calling to them. If all of a sudden these hunters walk in on your set, don't make turkey sounds. That's the worst thing you could do. Um, you know, talk to them. Hey, I'm here. Let them, let them know that you're there. You know what I mean? Um, and, and always, always, always assume any turkey sound you hear in the woods is another hunter. Always assume that. So, and, and you definitely don't want to carry red, white, and blue. So on your decoys, you know, I keep my decoys in bags. So if I'm using a Jake or something, that red, white, and blue is not showing, uh, my wing, my turkey wing feather, I keep in the back of my vest. It is not visible until I'm using it. And then once I'm done with that setup, I will put it back and it's out of sight. Okay, definitely some some good tips there. So so we've talked a, a lot about gear so far. We've talked a lot about calls mainly. But we haven't talked, we've mentioned cutting and and some different terms like that. But we haven't really talked about what those different types of turkey sounds are in the spring and what those mean. So, so can let's go through um, some of the different sounds that turkeys make in the spring that we as hunters would be imitating and kind of what those what those mean, so we know okay. when or when not to to make those sounds. Okay. Yeah, you bet. Um, I think it'd be good to start first thing of the morning. You know, uh, we're thinking a turkey from morning till evening, the course of their day. Um, without a doubt, the first call that is being made in the morning, if it's a gobbler, obviously you're going to hear them gobbling, but the hen is going to be doing what they call tree calling. It's just some very, very soft yelps. It's not very loud. It's only going to probably be anywhere from three to four to five notes. And she's just kind of letting other turkeys know, hey, I'm, I'm awake. I'm over in this area. And it may sound something like this. I'm just going to grab my box call here, James, and I'm just going to use it real soft. And it's one of those that that tree call is just very soft, just a handful of notes. And a lot of the times, if you know, especially if you're within, say, 100 and 150 yards of a gobbler in his roost, you've been able to get in there nice and quiet. 
and just doing that little bit, you're going to hear a response out of him. He's generally going to gobble and sometimes he may be facing away from you and it sounds like he's further than he is and he will reposition on the tree limb and gobble back at you. Usually if I get a Tom start gobbling at me, I'm going to kind of quit calling until I know he's on the ground before I start to work him. Cause it's one of twofold. The more he gobbles, especially on public ground, the more other hunters are probably going to hear him. And you've got other people coming in that may mess up your morning hunt. But you know, I just want to do as little calling as possible because the more calling you do, because the way it works in nature, James is a gobbler is gobbling from his roost and the hens come to him. When we are hunting, we are reversing that. So the more you call, the more he gobbles and the longer he's liable to stay on, uh, up in the tree on his roost, he's waiting for that hen to come to him and he's got the perfect vantage point. But if you just give a couple calls and kind of go quiet and if he gobbles at you, he knows where you're at, give him time to pitch down. And then from there kind of take his temperature and see what other calls or what you need to do. And, and we can talk about that. So. Awesome. Awesome. So, so let's, um, yeah, let's continue on through, through the day then. So, at some point so there's there's gobbling there's there's tree calls and then yep. when they fly down yes is that something that that typically you you hear um, yeah 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 so, and sometimes i'll even imitate that to at least make it sound a little more authentic i'm just trying to to sell what what i'm given that day it's like i am a turkey so i may give a fly down cackle with the wing i may just use the wing because they don't always have to do a fly down cackle when they fly down but like a fly down cackle and and i'm not the best on it james but i'll try with this diaphragm and i'm going to use my wing call as or my my uh my turkey wing as well but you just give a couple small yelps and then it and then it just gets quicker with it's almost like uh uh you pick up the pace with a yelp almost but it sounds something like this That's just, you're imitating a hen that just pitched out of a tree. She's down on the ground. So at that point, I think that we, hopefully we've sold it to him. And hopefully we can, you know, he'll pitch down and start working our way a little bit at that point in time. And, so, and you only do that once? I only do that once, yeah. I only do that once. I, I you know... I tend to not overcall a lot. The, the, about the only time I really get super, super aggressive in my calling, you know, especially first thing in the morning is if there's another hen that was roosted close to him. And when she pitches down and he pitches down, she starts gobbling back to me, James. I will do everything I can to bring her because if I bring her, big boy is going to be following. He's going to be right in tote if he's already hooked up with her. So the best bet is whatever sound she's making, I imitate her. And a lot of times that gets her fired up because even within hens, there is a pecking order and that may get her fired up. Like, Hey, I've got some gal over here that's mouthing off. I don't like it. I'm going to go check it out. And here she comes. And a lot of times that Tom's going to be in tow. He's going to be right with her coming. So if you can bring that hen that was already there, but, you know, because I don't like pouring on the calls right off the bat. You know what I mean? I've already kind of sold it. Once he pitches down, you know, 
will kind of play his temperature or play a hen's temperature, see where they're at. If he's gobbling good and kind of closing the distance, I'll probably really back off with my calling. And especially if he's gobbling and I know he's coming, it's amazing because they can pinpoint where you're at. The more you call, you're just giving away your position. And that gobbler may come within 70 yards and hole up and be like, yep, that's where I heard him. I don't see him. I'm out of here. But if you kind of shut up on him and let give him time to work your way, I, I think you're better off. So, Well, this is kind of combining calls with hunting scenarios, but if if you locate a gobbler in the morning on the roost – and yeah, you're doing your your fly down cackle and your and your your wing sounds. How how close are you to where they're roosting? How how close is too close, and how far away is too far? I I think a lot of it, you know, can definitely depend. Um, if you're able to slip, because you got to be as quiet as you can. I mean, you've got to be able to slip in there. You've got to watch where you're walking, where you're stepping. Obviously, if it's real dry like it is now, it's going to be a lot tougher in the turkey woods. But you want to be as quiet as possible when you get in there. And if you kind of can, you know, obviously the closer you can get, the better. But I would say if you're within 100, 150 yards of a roost tree and you know that from his vantage point, he cannot see you and you've been able to slip in there, you've done your job. I mean, you've gotten in there. And there there could be some other factors that come into play, too. Um you know, if that gobbler is roosted above you and he pitches down and he's uphill slope from you, um, he may not come down. Um, sometimes they don't like to come down hills. You know, there may be obstacles or terrain that you're going to have to work with. But whenever I start to work a tom, I like to be at the same level as them. Um, and I like to be as close as I can without spooking them. So I think being at the same level, slightly above them and as close as you can quietly is money it, it, you're a lot better position okay okay and then and then backing up a little bit here so so we heard him fly down and you had said that you were you would be imitating that lead hen so once they fly down are they yeah. they pretty vocal at that point in the day um they can be um generally as the day progresses that tom will get less and less vocal. And I think one of the mistakes hunters make right away when they first set up on a turkey, a lot of the times, and it's happened a ton to me, a gobbler pitches down and goes quiet. And I think too many people are used to, say, hunting elk, what are which are very vocal when they when they breed, right? Um, and they think, oh, they're, they're gone. They're, they're, they're already two miles ahead of me. And then they take off and they bump them. They push them. Just give it time. Most of the time when that gobbler has went quiet, he has he has what he wants right there with him. Um, so I'll just start listening for that hen or seeing if I can hear him, right? Um, and then as we progress, I may decide to go ahead, you know, let's say it's 30, 40 minutes after fly down. You know, it's not like they've, you know, probably are very far, but I, I may try to pick up the calling. I may do some more excited yelps i may try to throw in some cutting I'm, I'm just trying to create a little bit of excitement but i'm not gonna call non-stop you know i'm not big on just call 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 i mean it may work for some people but i just try to have a little more patience with them so okay okay well, well let's let's look at some different calls and different scenarios then so let's say you go in for a morning hunt you don't locate anything 
on the uh, on the roost. How do you approach a morning like that, and what sounds what sounds are turkeys making that time of day? Okay, um, you know, like if I get out there, um, you know, I've taken off walking, and I'm just kind of running and gunning, if you will. Um, I, you know, didn't have a bird that morning, and I'm just I'm covering prime country. I'm seeing turkey sign. I know turkey are in the area. Um, I think it's key one that before I even try to start calling, I try to make sure I've got some adequate cover close by in case I need to get in there. And I may not try to make a Tom shot gobble right away. I may just decide to do some hen calls. You know, I may just try to try to just do some yelps. I may try to get real excited with my yelping, you know, getting more than four or five notes and, and putting some volume um, and usually when I do, you know, when I'm blind calling, that's what they call blind calling. Um, I'm not going to get real loud with it at first, because if there's a turkey real close and you get into that, you may scare them off. So I, I may go kind of light and then I may get a little louder. And let's say I get a Tom, boom, he, he gobbles, he hammers away. Let's say it's nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm probably at that point. Um, I'm not going to really try to get any closer unless he's a long ways off but if i think he's within 150 200 yards i'll probably try to work him so i think it's critical to get set up with the tree wider than your shoulders get in the shadows and then as i start to call um you know i may decide to throw in some cutting um and cutting is just an excited hen she is excited and she's trying to tell that tom i'm over here you better get over here you know what i mean um, and, and I can show you what, what cutting sounds like. So, yeah, let's, let's do that. Okay. So on cutting, I'm just going to do some on, on my box call here. Um, I, I just kind of put my thumb, I just kind of lay it on, you know, cause I, I opened the paddle part about a quarter over and then I just kind of put my thumb on top and you can find some great, great videos that show how to use these box calls to cut on one, but I'm just going to start kind of hammering away on it. and that just you're adding some emphasis some excitement you're trying to get that tom fired up you know and that may be enough if he still has hens with him they may get excited and then once they start calling you start imitating them and get them fired up and if you can bring those hens he's going to come in tow so okay um and and then let's say i'm out there james and let, let let's give a scenario that I didn't even hear any gobbles, but I know I'm in a great spot. There's turkey sign. It's been a real quiet morning. Um, but, man, I'm seeing, you know, maybe let's say I was walking down a two-track and there's fresh turkey tracks and strut marks over the last vehicle tracks from the day or two days before. And I know turkeys are in there. And I find a beautiful little spot and I want to set up. Sometimes you can just set up and start doing some blind calling. And I may just start yelping real soft. You know, you can throw in some purrs. And, you know, you may want to, you know, cluck a little bit and, and just try to sound like a turkey that's in there feeding, just, just kind of doing their thing. And I'm not going to over call, but I'm going to make a series of calls and then just wait 15, 20 minutes and then do it again. 
wait 15, 20 minutes and do it again. And definitely have your gun up on your knee and be ready. Because a lot of the times when you're doing that, if it's a real quiet morning, you may have one just slip in on you. So so you mentioned purrs and clucks mixed in with the yelps. So, so are the yelps more of a, hey, I'm here, and the purrs and clucks are more feeding calls, or, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah, like to me, like a, like a purr and a cluck is more of a contentment. It's more of a feeding-type call. Now, sometimes purrs can get really excited, and if you get a turkey that's purring real loud and you hear another one, there's probably a couple of them that are fighting. You know what I mean? But for the most part, when you hear real soft purrs, real soft clucks, with some soft yelps. It's just a contentment call. More than likely, they're just feeding. They're just kind of moving through an area, just doing their thing, doing what turkeys do. And um, it's just a real, you know, hey, I'm just, just kind of here chilling. You know what I mean? So, Okay. Okay. And, and I know that when you're calling, you're trying to imitate purrs and clucks that it's important not to do a putt because a putt's more of an alarm call. Is that right? Yeah, a putt is an alarm call, and, and to me, like, it's one of those that, to me, a putt could be very similar to a cluck, and then a bunch of clucks put together <laughs> is cutting. Um, they, they can they can sound very similar, but, you know, if you were just to go into the turkey woods and, and sound like this, I'm just going to, to me, what is an alarm putt? Because if a turkey gets spooked, they're going to alarm putt. And if you're just doing this sound alone and that's it, yeah, you're, you're probably, you know, there's a good chance you're kind of alerting turkeys because they do have an alarm putt. But a putt really is a cluck, and then a bunch of clucks put together real quick is cutting, you know. Okay. If you just go into the woods and you kind of make that sound, that could be definitely construed you know, a turkey may be like, yep, that's that's an alarm put. You know what I mean? But if you kind of go in there and just put some purrs and soft yelps like this. Just real, real soft. You know, a turkey may kind of be more relaxed more at ease it's just kind of normal business so okay okay well another scenario let's say we we hunted the morning didn't get anything on the roost we did some blind calling nothing happened and now it's it's about midday is it okay. is it time to head back to the truck or is it still you still might make something happen no to me i, I think that's the biggest mistake that that turkey hunters make is they're you know, and I, I think we may, maybe I may have touched base on it on our fall podcast about fall turkey hunting, but turkeys, you can hunt all day long. And in the springtime, even if a gobbler was to pitch down and, you know, you've heard that gobbler in that same general area for a few days, he's probably still in that area. But I think the biggest mistake that hunters make is they give up on them mid midday. Um, I think that could be some of your best hunting um, especially out on public ground, you know, if, if you've got a nice piece of uh, private and, you know, nobody's in there messing with the birds, you know, that's, that's probably a different story. But I try to take full advantage of hunting all day, especially out on public ground. And most of the hunters are leaving the turkey woods midday to go make a sandwich or go take a nap. And 
that could be some of the best hunting out there. And, and the reason is because if a gobbler pitched down and got with a hen, well, especially if it was only one hen and he's done his thing and they've bred, um, a lot of the times he's back out looking for hens again. And that could be maybe a killer time to try to call in a Tom. And especially if he isn't really feeling that hunter or human pressure midday, that may be your, your one shot to get that bird you've been hunting for a few days and maybe having a little difficulty with. So, Okay. Okay. So still a good time to be in the woods then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without a doubt. Midday is to me is a great time to be out there. Um, you know, you're not going to have that, probably that peak gobbling. You may only hear one or two and a lot of times they're coming in quiet that time of day, but you know, if you've done your homework and you know where those turkeys are running and where they're feeding and where they're traveling and maybe where they're getting their water, et cetera, I mean, just setting up for success and hunting all day, you're just increasing your odds at harvesting that bird. So, And, and um, are, are you blind calling at this time as well or, or just sitting? Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, I definitely will. Um, I'll still be blind calling. Um it's one of those that, um, cause it's really, really tough to predict where they're going to be, but I'll definitely still be blind calling. And I mean, I've had Tom's heck noon, one, two o'clock when a lot of hunters had left. And maybe that was a gobbler I heard that morning, but when he flew down, he went quiet. Well, I come back in or, you know, I never really left the area. I went for my hike running and gunning, trying to spark up another Turkey. And then I come back knowing that, well, he's, probably still in here so you still want to be quiet obviously but just getting in there and i'll just kind of set up and start doing some of my blind calling and if i'll if i get a response out of him i may try to pick up a little bit on my calling maybe get a little more excited um versus just nice cool and casual i may throw in some excited yelps with some cutting do a little bit of clucking and you know i'm not going to do it continually i'll kind of do it in series but just trying to get some excitement from him to come in but Again, you need to be up and ready because he may only gobble that one time, maybe twice, and then it may take him 20, 30 minutes, and next thing you know, he's walking in on you quiet. And, and you had, had mentioned this earlier, but so you're not, if, if you're sitting there blind calling and you hear something gobble, you're not going to get up and relocate. You're going to stay where you are. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, I'm going to stay where I'm at. Now, if it sounds like he's a long ways away, I'll probably try to close that distance. Um, if it sounds like he's like way uphill above me and some distance, I'll probably try to walk quietly and get at the same level as he's at um, without spooking any birds out of there. Um, Cause I think it's real key, you know, still you want to try to get as close as you can, but there, there is a fine line from pushing that envelope too much. Um, and in the Turkey woods, it can be tough once in a while trying to determine you know, how far they are. Am I too far? Am I not close enough? But, you know, I, I would probably be willing to roll the dice, just quit calling and try to close my distance a little bit. And if he's a uphill, I try to get the same level or if I'm above hill on money, I'll be content with that. And and I think another thing too, probably to mention would be because you, you kind of touch base on it with the decoys, James, I think there's a fine line where decoys can and cannot help. Um, I always carry some with me, but if you're in an area where, you know, you've done your preseason scouting and you've seen a lot of jakes in the area and maybe you've seen some beaten up on some of the long beards, I probably wouldn't be pulling that jake decoy out. Um, 
typically I try to set up a Jake and a hen. Um, and I've got like a Jake that's kind of half strut, if you will. Um, but just having even a hen decoy, it, it can be beneficial, but especially if you're in more open country, I think that decoys can really help. Um, if you're working where it's moderately wooded and, and semi thick in areas, I don't think you need a decoy as much because that turkey, if they're coming by the time they get close enough, you know, they, they should be getting close to within shotgun range if they're coming at all. So, and that's why I think it's key not to overcall too much because, um, you know, they may hold up at 70, 80 yards and be like, I don't see a turkey. I ain't coming any closer, which I've had happen. We've talked a lot about different types of calls and the different sounds that turkeys make, and we've we've gone through a day in the field. So we've kind of we've kind of talked through everything. What if if we have some first time turkey hunters that are that are listening in, and perhaps they're discouraged with their attempts so far? I guess what are, what are some last minute words of advice that you would give to to those folks? Um, I think some of the, the last words of advice I would give James is, you know, just don't give up. Um, nothing is given to you. Nothing comes easy. And I think just going out there with the attitude that I'm going to learn every time I go out there. Um, I hunted a long time before I ever harvested my first turkey and then I got a couple and then it was like kind of a dry spell. And then all of a sudden I just started kind of figuring out my style, how I like to hunt and it's kind of paid off. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is go out there with intentions of knowing that, you know, I, I may not harvest a bird, but learn as much as you can when you're out there, just enjoy the overall experience and know that, you know, if, if you do get that bird, it it is such a, a sense of accomplishment. It really is. And, uh, turkey meat is fantastic. And, you know, they're just such a wonderful success story in conservation as a whole. I mean, we went at one point, probably the lowest, you know, turkey populations across the U.S. Um, after the turn of the century were as low as probably 30,000. And today there's over 7 million, um, not not in New Mexico, but across North America. And it's just it's just fantastic. I mean, I love it. And. Just, just try to go out there and, and learn as much as you can and have fun with it. And don't give up. You know, it may take three, four, five years. So, yeah, that's, that's great advice. That's great advice. Well, thanks for, uh, for joining us and, and talking with us all about spring turkey hunting. I, you've got me fired up to, to get out and go. But I think that's about all we have time for. But we really appreciate you joining us today. You bet. I appreciate you having me today, and uh, I just want to wish everybody good luck this spring. Have fun with it, man. We sure appreciate that. And thank you all for tuning in today. Be sure and check out our other shows and New Mexico Wildlife monthly e-newsletters and the digital articles. And get outside, go turkey hunting, and enjoy all the outdoor recreation opportunities that New Mexico has to offer. See you next time. Mm-hmm.